Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Hey, we're so glad you're here this morning. Uh, again, we are excited about Brian, Brian being here. If you don't know Brian, Brian was, um, well, he was a business guy before he became a pastor, and then um, they just loved his good looks so much so that they said, hey, we want you to become a pastor. And so he became a campus pastor over at Parkview. Many of you know Parkview. It's a wonderful church um, here in the, in the Chicagoland area. And so he was a campus pastor up in Lockport, and they took a, a dying church and gracefully brought it back to life. And uh, just a beautiful story there, which I think he'll share some of that with you today. But he currently lives in Manteca, California. He has a wife, Cherie. We have two kids, Aniston and Easton. And um, he's been there for, I think, around three years at Crossroads Grace. Did I get that right? And um, so about the same time that I came here. And uh, so he's learning and growing and, and changing culture there and doing some amazing things. If you don't know, uh, some important things about him is he is an aspiring Jelly Belly taste tester. If you didn't know that or you like Jelly Bellies, you need to get together and talk about flavors after the message. He's also, even better, a Bengals fan and a Reds fan. So we are like Ohio brothers. I'm just trying to convert him to the Buckeye land so he knows what it feels like to be a winner because we know the Reds and the Bengals are much like the Chicago Bears. They're just awful. So anyway, if you would give Brian a warm Joliet first welcome today, welcome Brian Hunt. (laughs) what's uh pastor brad doesn't know is that on his desk he had this ohio state uh little business card holder looking at me while i was getting ready for a message and i turned that mug around like we're not gonna look at that i will not be inspired by that no hey listen thank you for letting me be here honestly um when when debbie reached out and said hey we want you to come i said absolutely i was so excited to be able to come back to to a place that I called home for 13 years. Um, so grateful to be here. The conference was fantastic. You have some great leaders here. You should know that. Great leader in Pastor Brad and excited about the vision of the future this church looks like. So you're in good hands. Um, but who's the bald guy that they invited here? You're probably wondering, like who in the world, you know? Uh, well, my name is Brian and uh, I originally was born and raised in Rapid City, South Dakota. So if you know where Mount Rushmore is at, you know where I lived at, okay? Mount Rushmore is basically the only thing that that city is known for um, other than the other thing which is baseball and uh, I, I love to tour Mount Rushmore but baseball is what my excitement level really got kind of amped up in and so I wanted to be a professional baseball player my entire life and so I was in an organization there in Rapid City a great organization that eventually propelled me to be able to play division one baseball at the University of Nebraska uh, it wasn't as glorious and glamorous as you might think because I was a walk on which means that I was invited to come but probably told I wouldn't make it uh, I was the only guy out of 60 guys that made it and eventually started for the University of Nebraska. Got us some change of plans there, and they actually made a change in coach. He decided he wanted some new players there. So uh, I transferred to Augustana College in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, which is a great move. Not only did I gr- do great in baseball, but I met my 
smoking hot wife, Cherie there. And uh, Cherie and I have been married 15 years now at this point, but we met at Augustana. She ran track. I played baseball. She was a much, much better athlete than I ever was. Uh, and then after that, I actually played professional baseball for two years in Northern League. So Joliet, Jack Hammer, Schongberg, Flyers, you know that league. That's what I played in for a couple of years. Engaged on the field, uh, which is one of my highlights of my career, and uh, I, my wife, she said yes, thankfully, uh, and then right after that, almost like that night, after we had a little party at the, at the, uh, the dinner that we had for it, she kind of looked at me, and she says, honey, I love you. You need to make more money, and so I, uh, I quickly retired from baseball because $900 a month apparently wasn't good enough for her, right, so... Um, so uh, I, I, I left there, and I actually then transferred to Chicago, the Chicagoland area, not because of baseball, but because of the business world. I ran hospital-based fitness centers for a company called Power Wellness Management. The Palin Health and Fitness Center is where I started off here in Orland Park, and then was transferred to the Highland Park Hospital Health and Fitness Center, where I met some lovely people that are actually here today, and uh, ra- ran that facility for some three years, uh, until God started to knock on my heart and say, listen, uh, you are worrying about the, uh, the mind and the body, I need you to worry about the spirit now. And so I fought him for some two years, until I got tired of dry heat in the parking lot of my job and realizing how much I hated it for God to finally say, are you, are you done? Yeah, are you done? So I finally tapped out. I texted our pastor at Parkview and said, hey, I'm in. Uh, left that world and took a $30,000 pay cut and came to Parkview and became the operations director there. Eventually then became the, uh, the campus pastor there. About six months in, they said, hey, we want to start this new thing called multi-site, one church, multiple locations. Uh, and the and senior pastor, Pastor Tim, came to me and said, hey, what do you think? I said, no, and I actually turned him down, said, I don't want to do it. The CFO of the company, or the, of, the, of the church, in Kron, actually was the one that convinced me to become a campus pastor as he cornered me in an office and wouldn't let me leave until I said yes. And so I said yes, and I'll tell you what best decision I ever made. I loved my time at Lockport. We were able to take a church that was uh, 20, 30-some people and able to grow that church under God's grace to several hundred people. In fact, five, 600 by the time we were able to leave. But just the relationships that we met there, just to be able to see the change that happened, the lives. The interactions that we've had with people were so amazing, and uh, I'm just so grateful for my time there. But toward the end of that, God started to knock on my heart and say, listen, I've got another thing for you. And so I obeyed him after another two years worth of wrestling, and, uh, and it tore my heart apart to be able to leave, but I eventually went to Northern California, Manteca, California. Y'all, I had never been Manteca. My friends, right here, she raised her hand. I'd never met her in my life before. Okay, never, ever, ever. Came here, talked to yesterday. She's from Manteca and used to live in the same little small town that I live in now in Escalon, California. Crazy. Amazing. You're awesome. I don't know. You're amazing, right? So move there. All that to say, I moved there, and I had never been to California except LAX on a transfer to get into another plane to go to Hawaii for a baseball trip. That was it. And so they dropped me in Manteca, California. And do you know what Manteca means? It means lard. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in a city called Lard is what I, 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 but it is so awesome. I just love what's been happening. I've been there three years and it's Crossroads Grace Community Church and God has been so generous in what's been happening there, but so, so amazing. So in that time, he mentioned Aniston and Easton. Those are my kids. Aniston is uh, eight. Uh, Easton, my son, will be six tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, and, and you're wondering, where'd you get those names? And uh, Aniston is named after, for Aniston. Okay, we like that last name, okay? And my son Easton is named after the, baseball bat, okay? So 
that shallow. There's nothing spiritual at all. That is what it is, okay? Aniston's middle name is Grace. It's as close as we got, okay? That's about, that's about it. But I love my family. I love where we're at now. But today, I'm here just to, to share with you and grateful to be able to be here with you today. In fact, today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share something with you that's probably going to be very controversial for you. Uh, I'm going to tell you some things that you may not have even known before. It might even take your breath away, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because today, what I'm going to share with you is Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus' favorite four-letter word. I'm going to tell you his favorite four-letter word. Oh, I know. I'm going to say, I'm going to go back to Cali. It's all good. That's fine, right? But I'm going to share today with you Jesus' favorite four-letter word. Now, before you get too excited, I just want you to understand that uh, it, it's not going to be that crazy, okay? Because there, we know that this world is filled with four-letter words that are off limits. I mean, you, you don't need me to remind you of those words. I mean, you've heard them once or twice. You even said them in the parking lot when you got here. I know. Yeah, it happens, okay? There's occasionally those slip of your mouth. And, and honestly, hand in the air, when I was younger, that was a vice of mine. I mean, I, I could swear like a sailor. Sailors would blush at the things that I could say, you know? Like, I mean, I could make up swear words, right? I use them as nouns and verbs and pronouns and adjectives and prepositions. You name it, I would make them up, you know? Don't look at me like you're all holy, like you've never done it before. You, y'all live in Chicago. Come on now. I know. You make up some stuff, right? But that was me. It was bad. But fortunately, I did meet Jesus, and that's no longer a vocal vice for me. Like, I've gotten past that. But those four-letter words that we know of in our culture, they're, they're powerful things. You hear those words, it could start a fight, it could break up a friendship, it could end a business. I mean, all kinds of things. It could destroy families. I mean, maybe you've experienced some of that. When that word gets used, when they take the pin out of that word and they throw that into a conversation, you see the devastation that happens with that. But the bottom line is that these small little words have really big repercussions. Because we know that they're, they're not just words. Right? We know they're not just words. They, they have emotions with them, and they are driven. There's some power behind them. Because the power in those four-letter words that we hear, there's so much negativity with them. Filled with hate and racism and filth and sexism. And just a hint of those in a conversation just rockets some things up your spine. You, you just don't even, you shudder at them. But did you know that there's some four-letter words in church? D- did you know there are? And I'm not talking about the, the, the cultural four-letter words that we're talking about. But I, I'm talking, and not even talking about when you use the Lord's name in vain. I'm, I'm talking about words that when you say them in church, people start to cringe. You, you know those four-letter words like fear, hell and obey, and give, and lust, and hate, and I could list on and on and on. I mean, these words make, make people as uncomfortable as a White Sox fan at a Cubs convention. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, like that kind of creepy stuff, you know? It's just like in our culture of four-letter words. These four-letter words, they, they are explosive if you tell them to people. Explosive, especially when they're attached with God. These four-letter words that are attached with God, because these carry all kinds of things with them, too. They, they carry past hurts when people use them the wrong way. People think of them as weapons. They think of them as preconceived stereotypes. They even carry a sense of judgment with some of them. And, and with all of them, they impact us. But despite all that, Jesus does have a favorite four-letter word. And that four-letter word is the word lost. Lost is his favorite four-letter word. And to show that to you today, what I'm going to be doing is using the book of Luke today. So if you have your Bibles with you or maybe your YouVersion Bible apps with you and you want to open to Luke chapter 15, I would invite you to join me there in a second. Luke chapter 15 in your Bibles or your YouVersion Bible apps. I read out of the NIV translation, so if that's different than what you normally do, you can switch that. NIV is what I use. Now, Now, I don't know about you, 
But I think that, I, I think one of the worst feelings in the world is to be lost. You know, men in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you don't want to be lost, but we find ourselves lost all the time, especially when it comes to a new city or, or like a new town. Because when you move somewhere, you don't know where anything's at. Like, you just don't know anywhere. In, in order for you to feel comfortable, you need to know four things, very crucial to know four things in a city to make sure you know what's going on. So number one, the first thing you identify when you come to a new city, you find your target, right? You know where your target is at. You need some, you know, jo- Chip and Joanna stuff. You need to find your target and hook it up so you find your target. Walmart, Small Mart, we need target, Okay. So Target, you find number one. Number two, you find your gas station because you have to get gas in your car to go to Target. I get it, right? You understand? So gas station, number two. Number three, you have to find a Chipotle. You have to find a Chipotle. The world will not rotate without a Chipotle in it, okay? So Target, number one. Gas, number two. Chipotle, number three. And then four, you got to find your way to your job. Like, you got to find that. But when you find your spot, like, you just got to do it. Those are critical to what you need to understand. But when you move to a new city, you constantly use your GPS for everything. Right, for everything. I mean, even to go to the mailbox, you'll set your GBS to find the right w- way to go. But at some point along the way, you say, you know what, I gotta pull the digital training wheels off a little bit, and I gotta learn this thing on my own. I, I gotta figure out how to navigate this city on my own. I remember the first time that I did that in the city that I'm at now. So I live in, in Escalon, and the church is in Manteca, is in Lard. So I, 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 that's where I so Escalon and Manteca. And so I, I decided that one day it, enough is enough. I can't set my GPS to go to work every day. I've got to figure this out on my own. So my daughter, Aniston, she had a, a, a play or a, a, a program at her school in, in Escalon, okay? So I went to that, and I was at that, and he said, you know what? No more GPS. Today is the day I'm going to make my way to the church. Y'all, here's what it is. It is 10 miles straight one left, two rights, I'm at the church. Okay, 10 miles, and, and it's like on country roads, so straight 10 miles, not Chicago 10 miles, 10 miles straight. Max time, 15 minutes. 15, 15 minutes is what it's going to take. So I got on my car, turned the GPS off. 45 minutes later, I found myself in the middle of an orchard, rocking back and forth in the fetal position, just wanting my mommy to come and find me. I had no idea. I had to finally swallow my pride, turn the Waze GPS on. It laughed at me when it realized where I was at and where I was trying to get at. 25 minutes later, I finally got to church. So 70 minutes for a 15-minute ride, not too bad. But I figured out how to get there. But I hate being lost. There's nothing worse than that. Being lost is the worst. Makes you feel like an idiot. Makes you feel like you don't know what you're doing. It just sounds like a four-letter word that you want to avoid and not be associated with. But loss also carries some other feelings, doesn't it? I mean, loss carries some, some unnerving feelings. Ima- imagine yourself being lost in Joliet in the middle of the night, not knowing where you're at. I, I mean, imagine, you know, waking up in a place that you have no idea where you're at and you're trying to find some help. I mean, imagine that feeling. See, that feeling of loss brings some anxiety and some fear, some worry, some stress, all kinds of lost feeling. See, see, no one ever yells in excitement, yes, I'm lost, right? Nobody ever says that, unless you're driving in-laws then you're just super pumped about that you know (laughs) yeah a few more minutes you know no one ever is excited about that but what about being spiritually lost have you thought about that what about being spiritually what what comes to your mind when you think of of that or do you ever think about that see in most cases nobody likes to think of themselves being spiritually lost either because that means that we're not found and you think that you are It it also means that whoever is calling us lost is claiming they have the GPS coordinates to be able to have me find myself or for me to be unlost so I can find God. And we just, we don't like that. Like, we're down with that. You might as well be swearing at us at that point. 
And if you're here today, maybe you feel that way. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, maybe you've avoided church or Christians for a long time because their uppity attitude toward people that are, that are lost. Or maybe you've never really been able to connect the dots with being lost because you seem to be pretty comfortable. Life's pretty good. I got a good paycheck, good house. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Why would I worry about being found if I never feel like I'm lost? Or, or maybe you're here today and you never really thought that God cared if you were lost. I mean, lots of people in the world, so why would he care about me being lost? I'm just a small speck in this big world. And so what our heads do is they tell us all kinds of things. And those things will tell us to ignore God, to hate God, and maybe just to not even care about God at all. But what if I told you that a 100% of the reason why God sent Jesus was to, be, was to look for you? What if I told you that the whole, this whole thing called church was for you? What if I told you that you are so loved and so desired and so special that God would go to any lengths so that you would not be lost? Would that change anything in you at all? I just want you to know that God did do all of that. He he did all of that. He went through the greatest lengths to save you, and that included sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth and giving him one mission. That one mission is found in Luke chapter 19. It's found in verse 10. It simply says this, Jesus speaking. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. My friends, that is Jesus' mission. Right there, that is His mission. If you want to put the tightest, little prettiest bow on what Christianity is all about, it is that phrase right there. That Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This is why lost is Jesus' favorite four-letter word. This is why. And my prayer for you today is that it not only makes an impact on, on those that may need to find themselves lost today, maybe find yourself lost today, I hope it makes an impact to you, but I also hope it makes an impact on you as believers, the ones that know Jesus, that why we are in this to begin with. But to do that, what we need to do is we need to back up. We need to back up a few chapters on, to figure out what Jesus' words really mean, to find out the true meaning of why this is true. It's found in, in that Luke chapter 15 we'll be at, and it's actually found in two back-to-back parables that Jesus teaches and preaches about. Now, so we all know a parable is basically just a made-up story that Jesus uses to teach a very important, true point. And Jesus was the master communicator. He would use the best stories and draw the best things out of people so they could understand the best. And so he would do these parables and explain them to people. So as he's telling these stories, Jesus was followed by a group of religious people. And and they had their shorts all twisted up against because of something Jesus was doing. And Luke actually tells us something about the scene that he is in, in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, these religious dudes, they didn't like Jesus hanging out with lost people. They had a problem with that. See, what these religious people said is that, they, you know, you shouldn't hang out with lost people. If you want to be religious like us, you need to act like religious people like us. And so we don't hang out with them if you want to be like one of us. But for someone that was a foul-mouthed, lost person that was destined to, be, to go to hell, I'm certainly glad that Jesus didn't listen to them. I am so glad. In fact, I like the fact that Jesus likes to get his hands dirty. I like the fact that he, he likes to get in with people that everyone shouldn't hang out with. 
He wasn't afraid to be around the, religious pe- the people that the religious people said he shouldn't be around. He didn't care. He didn't care what people thought. He only cared about his one mission, and that mission was the lost, his favorite four-letter word. So religious people were muttering. Jesus was motoring. Like he was motoring on to the next person that he needed to reach with God's love. But what I love about Jesus is that he couldn't pass up an opportunity to drop a little truth on these mutters, if you know what I mean. So check this out with me, starting in verse 3. After these religious people say this, Jesus steps up. But then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And before the religious people could even say anything and say, Yeah, yeah, but, he just continues and he says this, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who who repents. So Jesus gives us two stories. One about a lost sheep. One about a lost coin. Lost sheep and lost coin. But both very different in their, in their own way, but they have a very clear thread that binds them all together that we'll see. In fact, is that there are th- three threads that actually show us what the meaning of this story really is all about. It actually shows us the heart of Jesus. So as we walk through these today, I'd encourage you maybe just to circle, maybe to underline, maybe to, maybe to highlight, whatever it might be, just so you know it's okay to write in your Bibles. God knows what's His and He knows what's yours, okay? Not sacrilegious. So maybe you circle some things that maybe jump out to you today, and maybe we'll look at this together today. And what I'd invite you to do is maybe circle this first word today, because as we go through it, you're going to notice that this all about, the first word is about something being lost. Makes sense. Something being lost. So, so in the first story, we have a story of a lost sheep. A, a lost sheep. And honestly, honestly, the reason that this sheep is lost is because of foolishness. Because if you didn't know, sheep are dumb. Like they are the dumb animals, right? They're super, super dumb. They will follow anything. They'll kind of get in trouble all the time because they just wander all around. They're constantly being lost. That's why shepherds have to work so hard just to tend to them to kind of keep them all together from wandering off. They're kind of like a toddler, you ever had a toddler? Like, they're just walking to traffic. They don't know. You know, they just come walking around. You know, you, but, but here's the deal. Like, if you're at the mall and you lose a toddler, you lose your child, you just don't say, eh, you know, we had a good run. We really did, you know. A couple years is really nice, you know. We got two more at home, so we're good, you know. Or at least we're up in this game. No, no, no. What are you talking about? You go and find your kid. Sure, you might sit in the car a little bit longer in order to make them learn a lesson before you go get them, you know, but eventually you go inside, you find that little dude on the Segway in the mall, you know, finding where he's at, or you go to the clerk at Macy's or whatever, you find, you search until you find your kid. Why? Because they're lost and you love them. And so the same is true about the sheep with the shepherd. Guys, losing a sheep meant that they lost money. It it, it wasn't like they just lost a pet. They lost money. He wasn't going to lose a couple hundred bucks just to let a wolf kind of eat this thing. No, no, no. Just like a parent, he went and looked for it. He went and looked for it. He would even place his life in danger in order to get that sheep. 
So the first thing we see is a lost sheep. The second story, though, we find out about a lost coin. A woman lost a coin, it says. And to us, it seems, like, so silly. Like, why are you turning this thing up just for a coin? Like, for a nickel? Like, what, what's the deal? But when you dig down a little bit deeper, you find, understand why this was so important for a couple reasons. So the silver coin that they talk about was the equivalent of a denarii. And in that time, the denarii was worth, a day, uh, uh, worth one day's wages. So, so if y'all lost a day's worth of wage, you'd find that thing too. You'd start working at it a little bit. I mean, I, I, I mean it may not seem like a lot, but I know you'd, you'd try to find it. And so she's looking for that. But beyond just the financial implications of this, there's something really interesting, another nuance to the story. In this time, this culture, when a Jewish girl got married, she was given... A, a crown, a, a, a headband to wear that was made up of 10 silver coins to signify that she was now a wife. It was a Jewish version of our modern day wedding ring, right? Our modern day wedding ring. This is what it would have been. And to lose even one of those coins was devastating. Would have been devastating to her. And on top of that, if you didn't know, they were, all of her homes were filled with dirt floors. And so she had to light a lamp in order to find this coin, this lost coin. And if she didn't, it would be embarrassing to her and it would be very hurtful to her new husband, her new groom. I mean, ladies, imagine losing your wedding ring. Imagine the franticness in which you look for those things. That's what's happening here. She was looking, but intensely looking for this coin. But something else that I noticed as I read this. As I read these two stories, there's a subtle shift that happens in the middle of both of these moments. It's a small but important redirection of energy that happens that is so vital because at the first, at the first, first about the intensity, the intensity of the moment is focused on the realization that something's lost. I mean, they're tense. They're like, I lost a sheep. Where'd he go? I lost this coin. Where did it go? But almost immediately, the focus moves from the stuff to the search. From the stuff to the search. They don't just sit around, you know, and kind of talk about how much they miss the sheep or the coin. Like, man, there were some good old days with those things, right? You know, they don't make a, like a memory board for it, you know, and have like a memorial service, you know. They, they don't do any of those things. No, no, They shift from the person to the process, from the talking to the doing, from the sulking to the searching, from drop, they dropped everything and they started to look. Because my friends, the search became the priority. The search became the priority. Did you know that you're a priority to God? Did you know that you're a priority to Him? Did you know that if, if every tree in the world died, if every animal, endangered animal was extinct in the world, if all, every drop of water was gone in the entire world, and all that was left was you, God would smile. God would smile because you are more important than all of that. You just need to know something. You need to know something. That Jesus didn't come to die for aardvarks and alligators. He didn't come to die for salmon and spotted owls. He didn't come to die for humpback whales or hammerhead sharks. No, no, no. Jesus died for us, for humankind, for you, for me, for the lost. Why? It's not because he didn't care about those things. He created them for crying out loud. It's just that he cares more about us. Because we possess something that the rest of creation does not. And we possess His image. We were created in the image of God. We are His pinnacle of all His creation. And He loved us so much that He imprinted Himself onto us. Jesus came because we all are lost. We all are lost. And without Jesus, we can never be found. 
And that's why when we are lost, God is distraught. When we are lost, God is distraught. But isn't it good that Jesus didn't leave these people searching for the rest of the story? Isn't it great that he didn't leave them searching? Because now we just, we just shift to the second thread that's in both of these stories, this idea of being found, from lost into found. It's, see, here's where the good stuff starts happening. Because it's all this, this seeking turns into finding it's like when the captive, the hostage, hears the door burst open and the good guys run in with all the guns and save them. It's when that climber is stranded on the side of the mountain for days and all of a sudden the helicopter comes and he knows he's going to be safe. It's like that teenage girl that's trapped in sex trafficking and she hears the police on the other side of the room arresting her captor. Like it's in that moment because in that moment everything changes. Everything changes. The coin goes back to the crown. The sheep goes back to the herd. The attic gets clean and reunited with his family the husband that was cheating realizes what he's done and he wants to restore the marriage the person running from God out of pain and out of hurt stops running and falls into the arms of the father that was there all along it's when the lost become found in fact if you want to get anything out of what I say today I hope you can get this one idea that we are only lost until we're found we're only lost until we're found See, when it comes to God, being lost will last as long as you want it to. As long as you want it to. It doesn't have to be a permanent state, though. When you and I see the way home, when we see the light of Jesus, when we understand the saving grace that he offers us, it's up to us to run to the light, to let the good guys in, to embrace the Father, to embrace Jesus, embrace being found. For so many people... And maybe you're like me, is that a lot of people like to stay in captivity. They stay in that dark room. They stay in that dark room of their sin. They endure more pain and hurt because of, of reaching to be pulled out. So, so, th- so, so, so some will do it. My friend, I can't wait for you to play. It's just going to be in a little bit. All right, you know, you're good. It, it did have great hair. It's got some good hair, right? Some good hair. Now, I'll give you the sign. It'll be the ear to the nose. All right, we'll go back to there, okay? Thanks, brother. But people will keep themselves in captivity all the time. They'll keep them in there. And, and what they'll decide to do is to see, you know, I'm just going to stay with this sin. I deserve this, right? They'll punish themselves by thinking, you know what? I've got to pay for what I've done. And in our pride, we'll say, we don't need God because we'll just figure it out on our own. And some people say, you know, I'm just going to be lazy. It's a whole lot of work on that other side. I'm just going to stay where I'm comfortable, even if it means I'm going to be apart from God. And part of that ownership is, uh, of, of why this happens needs to stay with those that are lost. Absolutely. But you know what? Some of it needs to fall on us as believers. Some of it needs to fall on us, the people that know who Jesus is. Guys, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can never lose sight of our mission as Christians. Our mission as Christians is to be on a search and rescue mission every minute of every day. We, we can't be satisfied with just knowing Jesus. It's, it's not enough. As image bearers of God, we also need to be looking out for those that are far from God all around us. Those that are lost, that are hiding in their own dungeon of lostness. We need to look for them. Guys, I think part of the reason that Christianity has lost its voice in our society is that we've stopped looking for lost people and we've started worrying more about the saved. That's what's happened. We create these holy huddles that make us feel so comfortable, so safe that we never interact with the outside world. We gather in cliques in our church. We're more excited to talk to the people we know instead of making a point to meet the people that we don't know. 
And guys, when we do that, you just need to know we are the ones that make lost a four-letter word to other people by the way that we treat those that are lost. That's on us. Because these are real people with real stories, with real lives. They're not poor little puppies that we say, oh, we'll find your owner. That's not what we do. As author Daryl Bach says, he says, God does not want believers to isolate themselves from the world to such a degree that they never relate to the lost. Jesus was constantly out among people, especially people who did not know God. So we need to break out of the huddles and get into hustling. We need to be on mission for Christ, looking and searching for the lost. Why? Because he did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. He was looking for us too. And if you know Christ here today, if you know Jesus, it wasn't because a lightning bolt hit you on the top of the head. The reason that you know him was because of a friend because of a co-worker, because of a youth volunteer, because of a celebrate recovery leader, a coach, a teacher, maybe a pastor, but someone that showed you what it meant to know Jesus. And in so many cases, you know God because of them, because he found you through what they did for you. So listen, I can't say this enough. Church, listen to me. God's grace is for everyone, and it's up to you to tell people about it. Again, what author Daryl Block says, if Jesus' attitude and perspective possesses such a theology of lost persons, so should ours. So should ours. Jesus' mission was the lost. This has to be our mission too. There is a world out there that doesn't know Jesus. And it's up to us to make sure that we're looking for them. That's on us, you guys. But there's one more common thread that we can't ignore through these, through these stories. And honestly, it's the best part. It's the payoff for both the search party and the found. And it's the joy. You can't help but look at these two stories and not see joy, joy pouring out of them. Guys, the shepherds threw a shepherd party and they freak out for one sheep that came home. The woman throws a block party for the nickel that she found. Why? Why go so over the top? for something that seems so small. Because this is why. Because we don't get to assign the value to something that means something to someone else. We don't get to, we don't get to do that. Guys, look at people and their pets. Just look at them and their pets. You people are freaky about your pets. You're nuts. You will have birthday parties for your pets, okay? You will put little schnookums in a bag and bring them on the plane with you as a pet, there's a pilot in the room. I know it drives him nuts. I can just know right now, right? You will, you will build little, little houses for your pets, right? Little houses so that schnookums can be totally fine. Why? Because you love your pets, don't you? But even though in some countries they will eat your pet for dinner, just so you know, it doesn't matter to you, right? Because you assign the value of what they mean to you. You get to do that. So the shepherd throws a party because the sheep mean to him and his business, the lady throws a party for the coin because it means something to her and her husband. So check this out. If Jesus makes a point to show how crazy a party they show for these little small little worldly things, it's this huge thing that happens because of it, what do you think it means to see God, God would do if he sees one lost person become found? What, what do you think the creator of the universe does when the creation that bears his image comes back to him? What do you think will the all-powerful God do when he sees his son or his daughter pulled back from eternity apart from him. What do you think he does? He throws an epic heaven party. That's what he does. 
Look at what it says again. It says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He goes on to say, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Even comprehend what that means. This means that God is on the edge of his feet, edge of his seat in heaven with a jimmy leg, like, whoo, I think another one's coming, right? You know, here comes another one. He's ready just to pate, you know? They're just ready to freak out, which is one person comes home. He's trying to freak out. I'm just going <laughs> to preach a little bit this morning if y'all are okay up here in the Nazarene church, right? Listen, do you know something? Do you know something? You ever seen those championship football games or like the World Series or anything like that? You ever notice at the end of those games what they do? They have the crazy, like they shoot off confetti cannons and there's like Cirque du Soleil going on and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? There's a huge party. Do you know that that party didn't happen by accident? It's, it's not like the commissioner came in on day of and he's like, oh man, looks at his assistant and say, oh man, I forgot something, man, I forgot the party, right? So here's a 20 spot, get one of those little like sandwich ring things, some Mike and Ike's, we'll just do this up, you know? No, 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 that's not what happens. It's a person's job the whole year. That's all they think about. They just think about the party. They th- and then when the day comes, they're like, oh, we're going to shoot off the orange stuff, we're going to shoot off the blue stuff. What are we going to do? They're just sitting on their edge of the seat. This is exactly what happens in heaven. The angels are ready. They're just waiting. Who's coming next? Who's coming next? They're ready to shoot off and explode. When one person calls Jesus Savior, the whole heavens come unglued. That's nuts. But that's exactly what happens. And do you know what the name is for that feeling that you, that you can't describe? That name for that feeling when you hold the newborn baby. The name when you hear someone say, when your spouse says, I do in your wedding. The name for what it feels like when a lost son comes home. The name for that feeling when a daughter comes back to life. The name is joy. Joy is what you feel. As the French philosopher once said, he says, joy is the unfallible sign of the presence of God. That is good. That is what joy is. Joy is when the party just busts loose. It's when the kingdom of God swells by just one more person that the Father, through the Father, through the Son. The moment when the lost are found is when the face of God shines down. That's what joy is. And it's joy that is found throughout everyone involved in the story. Think about it. The person searching finds joy when that person is rescued by Jesus. The person that is lost finds joy when they realize their eternity is forever changed. Even the friends and family are filled with joy because they've been part of something amazing that just happened. So my question to you today is this. Have you felt that joy? Have you felt that undescribable feeling that happens when you turn your life over to Jesus? Have you felt that undescribable feeling when you see someone come to your church and meet Jesus? Have you felt that feeling of joy when you're part of something bigger than yourself that took a lot of hard work and a lot of change to get there, but you see some change, it's amazing things happening. Have you felt that? If you're not feeling that, you are missing the whole point of why Jesus came. You guys are focusing on the four-letter word of lost when you're missing out on the five-letter word of found. That's the best word. Guys, Jesus' mission was for you to save you, to love you, to forgive you, to find you. As the great Charles Spurgeon once said, he says, now the Son of Man is come to seek and to save those whom the world puts outside the camp. The world says, no, shame on her. We will not speak to her, but Christ Jesus says, I've come to pardon her and to restore her, and she shall love me much because much has been forgiven her. My friends, we are only lost until 
we are found. And maybe today, maybe today it's time to be found. But let me draw you back to something here real quick that you might have missed in this story, a little nuance to it. It's this. Have you ever, have you ever lost something in your house before? And like, and like you're, and, and you swear you've looked for it everywhere. And not like with your little kid that says, I look for it everywhere. And you're like, you didn't look everywhere. You know what I mean? Like you like legitimately adult level looked everywhere. Like you know, like you've looked everywhere. But then all of a sudden you realize there was one pra- place you hadn't looked. And it was, um, it was like under the bed or, or under the fridge. And like you like, you like get down like, you, like, look underneath the frit, the frit, and you're like, huh? What is that? Like, you know that stuff that's underneath your frit. Like, you know. Like, there's, like, there's, like, hair in there, and there's, like, I don't even know what that is, and there's, like, fingernails, and <laughs> right? But then as you're looking underneath there, then you see it. Like, you see it underneath there, and then you're like, what do you do, right? You're like, I gotta go in, man. <laughs> I'm gonna go, oh, this is nasty, right? You go in, and you grab it, like, you bring it out really quick right? You bring it out really quick. It's covered with all this stuff. You're going to have to shave it, like all this. I'm talking about, right? You've been there before, right? You find the coin and you find it. You look it up, but all of a sudden there's all this stuff on it, all this stuff. Let me ask you a question, church. How much is this worth right now? Has the value changed at all from the moment it was on your finger and went underneath the fridge? Has it changed in value at all? No, it's just covered in stuff. And so all you have to do is to get that stuff off of it, and it looks the same. It's got the same value. The coin, the ring, is just covered in stuff, and all you have to do is get that stuff off of you. My friends, do you understand as we take, turn our hearts toward communion that this is exactly what Jesus did for us? That Jesus looked on this earth, and he said, man, we're in trouble. There's a bunch of lost people down there. And so instead of God staying up there and saying, ah, Good luck with all of that. No, he sends Jesus, and Jesus gets down on his black belly, and he looks into all the stuff. He's like, then he reaches in. He says, I see another lost one, and he grabs it out, and he brings it out, and he finds you, and he finds me, and we're covered with a bunch of stuff, but he doesn't throw us away because our value is still there. We are still in the image of God. We're just covered with a bunch of stuff, and so what he does with us, he says, give this to me. And he takes all that stuff and he wipes it away with his blood, with his love, with his grace. Jesus says, you can be made whole if you come to me. Give me the ring and let me make you whole because your value is still there. Because I'm the one that assigns value. And your value, I say, is priceless. That's what Jesus tells us. And so my friends, our job as believers in Jesus is to find more lost coins, to put ourselves in some nasty situations and pull people out, to not clean them up ourselves because the sheep can't clean themselves, the coin can't clean themselves, only Jesus can clean them. It's not our job to clean them. Our job is to find them and let Jesus clean them. That is our job. But it's also our job too, that if you don't know Jesus, that you let yourself get pulled out. You let yourself be found. You open the door. You let the good guys in. You let him take your life and clean you up. Take off all that stuff that this life has thrown at you. Because we are only lost until we're found. And if we'll let him do that, there will be a party in heaven like you've never heard before.
And when you get there, they're going to say, we've been waiting for you. We know about you. We partied for you. Come on in. So the decision that we have today is simply this. Will we allow ourselves to be found? Will we allow ourselves to feel that joy? Will we be a church that is looking for the lost? Is on a search and rescue mission for the lost? Or will we be comfortable? Will we be comfortable in our sin, the stuff that covers us, because at least we know what that stuff is? Will we be comfortable in our church because we've done it the same way all the time? Or will we be willing to get on our hands and knees to look at some places that normally most people don't and go on a search and rescue mission for those to allow yourself to be saved? Church, my friends, I hope that you will seek the lost. And at communion, we get to remember what Jesus did for us and why it's not us that does it. It's all Jesus. See, communion is a great remembrance of what Jesus did for us because there's bread and there's juice here that represents his broken body and his shed blood. And so we can remember the extent to which God would go for you and I, that he would go to the very lengths to send his own son to die for us. And because of that, because of that, we don't have to be lost. We can be found. But it's only through Jesus. So in a second, we're going to give you an opportunity to come take communion. And when you come forward, you're going to notice there's bread and some uh, a chalice of juice there. What we'd ask is that you just take the bread and dip it in there. At your own time, dip it in there and, and take that. If you're any gluten-free issues, we have some gluten-free communion right here for you so you can not feel hindrance at all about that. But at your own time and your own reverence, we'd encourage you to come forward. But I also would say this. If you don't know who Jesus is, in a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to know who he is for the first time, maybe, for you to become found and to let him take all that stuff out that's on the outside of you and make you clean because you are, you are bearing his image and he loves you. So as communion happens, what we'll do is I'll, we'll have, I'll be at that side and Pastor Brad will be at that side. If you need prayer, if you need to chat with us at all during this time of communion, you're welcome to come forward. But I just want you to know that God loves you, deeply, deeply loves you. And before you come forward, make sure you're ready. Make sure you've taken some time to really consider and pray what it means. If you don't know Jesus here today and you don't know what all this means or everything, that's okay, totally fine, no harm. But we'd love to talk with you about it because he loves you and he came to look for you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and are overwhelmed with your word. We're overwhelmed with the fact that you would see us just a bunch of sinners, that each and every day we screw up, that you see us, you love us, and you came for us, Jesus. In this moment, Father, I don't take anything for granted, Father. I believe that there might be people that are lost in this room today that don't know you as Savior, that have never crossed that line, that have been living a really good life, that have never said, Jesus, you're my King. So today, Father, I pray if there's anyone that's like that spirit, would you fill this room? Would you work on hearts and convict and allow people to know that you're real and you love them? And as your heart opens, that you open their hearts, Father, would you allow them to pray that, Father, I am a sinner and I'm apart from you. I have lived my life running from you, and I realize now I'm lost. Jesus, I need you in my life. Come and change me from the inside out. Wash off all that stuff on the outside so that the beauty of what's in can shine. I repent of my past. I embrace my future that is found in you and you alone, and I promise to follow you the rest of my days. And I believe that I'm now written in the book of life 
that the party in heaven is taking place right now because of me, but ultimately because of you, Jesus, of what you did. Father, would you work in this room? If there's anyone that doesn't know you, might they have prayed that prayer? Might they take communion for the first time today in a new way? And for the rest of us, Father, would you embolden on us a desire for the lost to not be comfortable with where we're at, but uncomfortable with the fact that there are people that don't know you? Help us, Father, to do that well. Help us to do it for your glory. May we remember you in this communion. It's in your name.